Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. And joining us for this third birthday celebration, you know him best as the host of the podcast Under the Stairs and also from the Rawhead Rex, the People Under the Stairs and the whole episodes of this show, it's Duncan McLeish. Duncan, hello, welcome back. Thanks very much, guys. Um, I'll be honest, like, met him my message like that fourth time, and I was like, that's about the third time. And I completely, completely scrubbed Rawhead Rex from my memory. And I don't know why, because that was a ton of fun when we could still meet and be in the same room together. Yeah, of yeah. course, mm-hmm. of course. Completely I, gone. I also seem to remember elements of the whole episode, which had <laughs> me thinking that that would be the one that you would rather erase from your memory. <laughs> um, I... I don't know there's like uh, this particular movie we're going to talk about this week started off as an innocent pick mm-hmm. and the further i watched into it um i didn't think i would get a chance to use the word discharge oh, on sure. on a recording but it might come up a few times so i would say that's that's potentially true but rawhead rex um fair enough that it did kind of slip your mind that was episode four and here we are in episode 146 jesus so <laughs> So, oh, you know. Man. That's so silly when you say it like that. Duncan, you have gone for the stuff uh, this time around. Why this one? I, I mean, all my picks kind of go the same way, to be honest with you. This is a movie I grew up with um, and reconnected through Arrow Video. Uh, they don't need a cheap plug, but there's another cheap <laughs> plug. Um, this is one that I saw way back in the day, VHS Rental. Didn't quite get it. When I was younger, um, I, I enjoyed it for all the campy fun reasons mm-hmm. that we'll get to. But the actual message behind it is is one that I think you need a bit more of an adult brain, or you need to be really cynical at a young age, <laughs> just <laughs> just in general, um, to, to to fully pick up on. But it's a movie that, like, when I reconnected with and realised. Actually, this is maybe a little bit more clever than most people, including critics at the time, give it credit for. It's one that I revisit too regularly. I think it's, it, it is a barrel of fun. It's a really, really oh, funny I... movie. There is a wit about it specifically, which borders almost on the Romero in terms of a bit of social commentary. Sure. So, um, yeah, so that's that's why. And also because I think, Mitch, you hadn't seen it before, which gives me great delight whenever that comes up. Yes, <laughs> so, uh, and a shocking twist, I hadn't time. seen it. Um, I, I just have a vision of like this really jaded little child sitting at home watching this going, consumers are scum, marketers just, are scum. I was thinking the exact same thing, I was just imagining like a jaded eight-year-old Duncan sitting there being, this film certainly is making some incisive commentaries on consumerism. Yeah. Oh, Reaganism, uh, you know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that, so that, that's that's why. Also, the front, the, the cover for this one back in the oh, day I, was uh, like this is classic. Yeah, I need to, I need to see this. Uh, I, I don't know what's about. 
I don't care, but I need to see it. Yeah, I can understand that. Andy, what's your backstory with this one? I'm going to shock you here, Mitch. Uh, it's roughly the same as Duncan's. I had a feeling, uh, you know. Yeah, and I've got to echo your sentiment there, Duncan, about that front cover. Like Mm-mm. the front, the original front cover of the stuff is probably one of the most kind of overriding video shot memories I have. Like, yeah. it was one of those front covers that, similar to you, I didn't see it, and it was one of those ones I just kept coming back to, coming back to. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see this one day. I'm going to watch this one day. I'm going to watch this one day. And then when I did, it was not at all the kind of film that I expected it to be. It's really Larry Cohen doing what he does best, and that's uh, just having an absolute blast. But at the same time, he generally has stuff to say. Uh, mm-hmm. Even in even in stuff like Q, the Winged Serpent, he's got stuff to say. Um, yeah. yeah, he's a he's a great filmmaker, and this is a great film, and I'm so glad that you picked it. Yeah, I think that this uh, has the feel of what I think. If you hadn't picked it, Duncan, it would have ended up being an Andy versus Mitch selection when it was Andy's turn sometime <laughs> potentially. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know very much about this going in, and I kind of kept it that way. And then basically, I think that the main kind of connecting tissue that I have to this film is the films that it's mentioned in the same breath as or have mm. been on this show, which uh, I think it got mentioned I, like when we were talking about Street Trash. Oh, yeah, mm. that makes sense. And um, again, when we were talking about Body Melt, I'm not a particular fan of either of those films, so I was kind of like, let's just see where this takes us. This this appeals to me way more, yeah. which is probably not that surprising to people that both listen to this and have seen all those. But like, yeah, yeah, I, um, I don't mind kind of leading with the fact that I took to this quite a bit because it ended up being far more of a kind of uh, this goes all the way to the top mystery than I expected it to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, um, but we can we can get into that and uh, loads more. However, Duncan, I know this is your fourth appearance on the show, but it has been a year. I don't know if you remember that we do this. 30 second synopsis time. How are you feeling? Uh, oh, I mean, I, I mean, uh, there's, there's no penis monster in this one. I mean, there's no men running around in gimp suits with shotguns. This might be difficult. This might be a challenge. Is this true? Like, none of your kind of bread and butter are really there for this. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. Um, it's crazy that the stuff is the most cerebral of your picks that you've brought on. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are talking a bit like, you know, like you've come on and picked like Mulholland Drive or something. Yeah, that's it. About to break your mind, audience. Yep, um, here we go. Yep. Um, Andy, you've got 30 seconds on the clock. Of course, much of course. Duncan, you ready? Yes. Okay, three, two, one, go. Larry Cohen dazzles and delights by poking a finger right in the face of consumerism, giving you ice cream, which lets you scream for, and at the same time, a substance that not only do you consume, but it consumes you. Right, All okay. right. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that was uh, 11 seconds remaining, well done. Strong. Always trying to get in quick. Yeah, I, I like the that's my life. It's that you didn't bog down too much with like plot beats and stuff like that. It was very much like scene setting, which I appreciate. Like all bets are off when the army comes in. What? Well, no, it's not even the army; it's the militia. Yeah. It's like an offshoot I militia that the government's alright with. So that that is that is the strangest thing. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to Paul Savino later. Uh, <laughs> do, you know how he, do you know how he got him in this movie? No. Here's a here's a little bit of trivia for you. Larry Cohen apparently met uh, Michael Moriarty at a cafe in New York 
which is apparently where he did most of his business and there was a particular cafe which was frequented by the actors of the day so people like um, Robert De Niro mm-hmm. uh, Michael Moriarty Paul Servino um, all the cast of Goodfellas jo- pretty much and yeah he would just talk about them while they were sitting beside him until they paid attention and then he would ask them if he would be in their, their movies and that's literally how he got that's how he got him in the movie as well as Danny Aleo uh, same idea talking to him in a cafe in New York so there's a part of me that kind of just loves this idea of do you know who that is it's Robert De Niro (laughs) I love Taxi Driver you know just this idea of trying to woo them in he didn't obviously get Robert De Niro but um, it's a weird cast it's a weird weird cast in this one I kind of love it for that though don't look now there's Robert (laughs) De Niro <laughs> uh, yeah, by the way, third out, and I believe for Paul Savino on this show, Mitch. Oh, really? Okay, I am not going to lie. I do not remember what the other two are. So, if you'd like to go for it, then by all means. Cruising and Repo uh-huh. the Genetic Opera. Mm. Wow, hurtling to all ends of the quality spectrum there. Yeah, what an oeuvre. Mm. Yeah, so we are fucking putting it. Um, <laughs> so first up in this one, we meet uh, Harry. Mm. I believe uh, I believe is his name. Uh, mm. Who, uh, much to my immense disappointment, did not go on to be a main player in this. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, he discovers a weird substance on the ground and uh, as anyone would in that situation, uh, eats it. Smells it then eats it, which yeah. I mean, I don't know what's worse, like the fact that he kind of sticks at these fingers. It's a white kind of almost marshmallowy substance, which he then smells and then... Immediately eats. Yep, yep, as you do. I mean, I think what he's doing there is checking that it isn't white dog shit. Remember when you used to get <laughs> white dog shit? Some blast from the past. <laughs> well, I don't know why. Apparently, old dog food used to have a much higher calcium content, so it would ah. calcify in the sun and go white. So there you yeah. go. There's some science for you. But yeah, you don't science see white dog bitches. shit that often anymore. But in the eight, in 1985, everywhere must have been everywhere. everywhere. Must must have been everywhere. But it's it's not like that. It's bubbling. <laughs> Fair. It's kind of bubbling as well, so I'm I'm thinking to myself, even even if I thought, well, this is safety, it's kind of bubbling like a weird sort of kind of earthy fondue. Um, mm. It's not, it's, you know, it's it's not something, but but it tastes nice because he's all. About, in fact, he's telling his friends to leave him alone. After no, you guys go ahead and I'll I'll catch up with. Leave me with my goo. Yeah, Ooh. I'll be over here chowing down on my delicious ground stew. Mm. <laughs> By the looks of that guy, it's not the first time he's eating ground stew. No, that's, that's fair. Also, a slightly more vital character introduction at this point: Jason, young Jason, mm. having a restless old time of it. Um, mm. Also, talks to himself a lot. Yeah, you must have been loving that much. <laughs> was fucking raging. Um, when he goes downstairs to fix himself a snack, obviously the credits are rolling at this point, mm. uh, the opening titles. Uh, why does Patrick O'Neill's name have a box around it? Generally in, in credits, if someone has something like that around it, it's to draw particular attention to that person's name. So like that should get your plums pumping that Patrick O'Neill's in this. You should be like, what? They got Patrick O'Neill. How? How did they do this? <laughs> I mean, he's he's almost un, he's unattainable in movie. I, I imagine like there's a weird thing that it's like when when they do with in a movie as well. Like you know, they have all the casting in with so and so. Those are usually the bankable names, but it usually means they've had a, a really good career, mm-hmm. um, and now they're summing it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> absolutely. I hear that for sure. I I wrote in my notes, Jason goes downstairs, which immediately struck me as a pitch for a really boring Friday sequel. <laughs> Do you mean Friday the Ice Cube movie? No, Friday the 13th. 
okay. But yeah, he opens the fridge and uh, we see a similar substance to the one that Harry was getting stuck into earlier on, skulking around in the fridge. And I say skulking around because it is like sentiently slopping around in there. Yeah, it's prowling left to right here and there, getting all about your cucumbers and your, your zucchinis. Mm-hmm. It's a weird scene. I love it, by the way. I just want to say, at this very early point in this discussion, yeah. every time the stuff is on screen, I love it. It's practical. It's like, um, there was the, the famous comments from, this movie has been rumoured to be getting remade about seven times, and every time they spoke to Larry Cohen about it, um, before he passed away every single time he would be like that just don't do it and it wasn't because the message isn't pertinent the, his main concern was you're going to CGI this stuff it's not going to look good it's not going to look nearly as good as the practical effects we've got here the stop motion animation we're using it's just not going to have the same impact and I'm kind of with them on that if you've sat yeah. through any of the ginger dead men um, <laughs> then you will know what bad CGI will do to your horror movie so... I feel like you've picked a particularly low bar to discuss there, though, Duncan. There's horror films that use CGI to better effect than the ginger I'm getting a feeling. I'm getting a feeling that, you know, someone like a Blue Moon might get a hold of, you know, the stuff's rights to do a remake. So I'm just I'm just kind of setting expectations low. I get will a better do those. Team I'll take for... the stuff. I'll do the stuff and I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it practically. You, you could do it well. Well, your background, you would do it well. Thanks, Duncan. Other people, no, not 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 so much, not so much. But yeah, like if you owned your fridge and there was a tub of whatever this stuff's supposed to be, <laughs> kind of lying on its side with this thing undulating about the fridge, and you're a wee kid, you'd shit yourself as well. But what, well, that's not even the scariest thing. His dad is terrifying. Mm, yeah. By the way, <laughs> when I when I was like. 22 and living with my mate in our kind of first flat together that's what our fridge looked like when you opened the door like it was uh probably quite dangerous mm, grim yeah. <laughs> but his dad's like grabbing him and like why do you, i thought you were an intruder don't you ever come down to this fridge alone again <laughs> it's like what this poor <laughs> fucking kid spends this whole film with people trying to jam this shit down his throat it does he also, he also he, like this kid gets like Manhandled a lot. Yep. Yeah. In this as well. Yeah. The dad, like you said, like don't you quit, right? Absolutely, like absolutely fucking terrifying. And I don't know what kind of like fridge-based trauma he's had that means that he has <laughs> to like imprint this message so hard on his kids. But um, he uh, understandably skeptical at um, Jason's claim that the stuff was crawling around in the fridge a moment ago. Straight out of this into one of what feels like maybe seventeen or eighteen adverts for the stuff. Swap levels this movie up to the like, honestly every ad is just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to put the stuff jingle at the end of this episode, guys. I think uh, it's almost yeah. so good, so yeah. good. But yeah, you get loads of them, and I think originally when they were all shot, so history will tell us, you know, our, our mythology or whatever. Um, they were all shot, and the uh, the film studio didn't like them or didn't want to use them really in any way, shape, or form. So Cohen's original idea was that in the run-up to the actual trailer of this movie, he would release all the trailers on TV, people would yeah. see them and think it was a product, and then, boom, you got the trailer for the movie and it all tied in, which is just, like, is genius. I mean, this is kind of like Blair Witch-level viral marketing sure. at its highest, and mm-hmm. the, in the 85, they just weren't ready for it, guys. <laughs> I, actually, I, I actually think that's true. I, know, yeah, like, I don't I think they could agree. handle that. Yeah, I don't think they, they wanted. Plus, as well, like they genuinely, the film company that put this out thought like this is new world cinema. I think. Yeah, it was. Um, they thought they were getting a all-out Romero-style horror movie, and that's not what they got. Like they thought this was going to be like a lot gorier than it was, and a lot more violent than it was. Mm. And you know, Cohen just didn't want to make that movie, and 
well done that man because yeah. it would have been lost amongst the movies like your street trashies yeah. that were out about the same time so yep yeah, Cohen was actually pretty annoyed I hear it the the way it was marketed that it mm-hmm. was marketed much more as a street horror film rather than this kind of consumerist satire that it actually is I mean it has definitely has horror and b-movie elements to it but mm-hmm. there's like I say like we've kind of said already there's a lot more bubbling under the surface uh, and I don't just mean the, the stuff itself oh, um, there's layers to that one yeah, yeah that's I, I, I like next level puns um, and Andy's brought his A-game with I'm him I'm ready for this constantly lads I'm in another stratosphere <laughs> I'll location hop again here to one of my favourite scenes of the whole thing when we had aboard Fat Cat Yacht, the SS Fat Cat. <laughs> um, the SS uh, Deep Pockets. Yeah, we're, yeah, uh, yeah we're, a, we're a sort of billionaire tycoons talk about the stuff and mm. uh, its general kind of disruptive force in the market. They have apparently acquired the chocolate chip Charlie chain, yes. which I had to practice in the mirror before I said it, and that have just discreetly become stuff outlets. They're trying to bring this down, get to the bottom of it, and in doing so, they have have enlisted the aid of Mo Rutherford, industrial spy, wearer of mismatching suits, talker of big games. Man with southern drawl. Yes. Maybe uh-huh. one of my favourite characters in cinema history. Just, Absolutely just across incredible. the board. Originally written as a much more intelligent character, and at the last minute, um, Michael Moriarty had basically pitched the idea, no, he should, be, he should come across as dumb, so people are unassuming around him because they don't think... He's on that same level, and that's how he gets his stuff done. So it was all changed last minute, most of it while they were on set. Um, and he ad libbed a ton of his. Apparently, he was very difficult to work with because uh, <laughs> he just ad libbed. In fact, there's a lot you can tell it. Like someone like Garrett Morris is ad libbing everything he says because he stumbles over some of the words he says when he comes in later on. Plus, the reaction of people around him is like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> chocolate chip, Charlie." Um, but yeah, he, he ad libbed lo- loads in this movie. Just put, put on just proper method actor. Just started feeling out the character. And he's absolutely amazing because he plays off as an idiot, but he's a real savvy customer. And yeah. It's 3D chess, but actual 3D chess. <laughs> like he, his introduction in this scene on this boat is just amazing. Like from the minute he kind of walks in, he's got his feet on the tables, he's kind of fixing people's ties, he's just like, he's, he's knocking guys out. Like, he's just an absolute <laughs> legend. And he spends the rest of the film having people trying to stuff massive wads of cash into his pockets. Like, well, yeah. he's, he's incredible. Like, he's just, it's just amazing. Yeah, my assessment of his appearance in this in this scene and like how he's introduced is that um, we get a little bit of the background of what he's investigating. There was like this massive internal exodus after the stuff, uh, after the stuff got approved, mm-hmm. but basically, yeah, what like once we get that, well, it didn't grounding, get approved. Just... Remember, Mitch, it didn't get approved. Oh yes, yeah, by mm-hmm. part of the part of the problem is that the stuff has hit the market and it's bypassed the general kind of FDA testing and all that kind of stuff. So people just yeah. want to figure out where it came from, what it is, and really get a bit get more of an idea for how this incredibly addictive substance has hit the market in such a big way. It's like KFC chicken. Mm. Like no one mm. knows what's in the Colonel's recipe. It just hit the market. It's addictive as fuck. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? like Snyder's jalapeno pretzel pieces. <laughs> yes, the very same. Uh, but yeah, after after we kind of learn this, yeah, the rest of this scene is just Mo uh, Mo Rutherford insulting everyone in the room and socking one guy in the mouth on his way out. <laughs> or the FBI guy, the FBI guy who tries to mock him and and basically say, you know, well you got fired, and his his partner thing with him is to walk back past him brandishing a check for. And, you know, obscene amount of money right in his face. And when the guy makes a comment, 
breaks his jaw. I know he breaks his jaw because when it hits him, one of the old men goes, he broke his jaw. Oh my God, he broke his jaw. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, at the end of this, I just wrote down that Mo Rutherford cares not for first impressions. Mm. I also love his name as well because his name is not Mo. His name is David. Uh, But he goes by the name Mo and he changes it every time like the Joker. You know, the Joker's like, you want to know how I got these Uh, scars? Well, Mo's got a version as well, which is basically, he's a greedy bastard. Yeah, he says, uh, you know what, I know why they call me Mo. It's because like, people offer me money, but I always want Mo. Oh, and I love yeah. that guy. Ah, love him. You're a fucking character. Love him. He's, he, he is amazing. I, I just absolutely was not ready for that character introduction. Like, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm quite happy to admit that like a minute into that scene, I was like, ho, 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 what are we getting What's- here? It's the, it's the, like you say, like you, you were both saying, the setup is they're talking about industrial espionage and a spy, and then a speedboat comes along, so you think James Bond, right? And then your, your introduction is Mo, who is not James Bond. No. Um, so. <laughs> no, he's like, he's more like a kind of, kind of, some kind of oil shyster. <laughs> like, he plays an oil character later on, and I'm like, that, yeah. that's what he's cowboy boots, that's the guy. Yeah. That's who you are. You're George um, W. Bush before you got elected to governor. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're the <laughs> I uh, we, we double back to Jason's house at this point, uh, where he gets a kind of like a secondary bollock in, in the morning from his dad for cutting about unsupervised in the family kitchen in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. Yeah, and his brother school as well. His yeah, brother, his who brother. is his real brother. Yeah, their eyes, by the way, yeah, are some of the most captivating yet terrifying eyes. I've ever seen like a really piercing kind of bluish kind of almost marble color mm-hmm. like for some reason Cohen's fixated with this because whenever they're on the screen it's like just the face super <laughs> I mean, just that yeah. face just um, with the eyes I uh I really love how this scene plays out or particularly how it ends because obviously he yeah he comes downstairs and like the dad's like we're having no more of this shite also you're going back to school today <laughs> but then they're kind of like trying to get him to eat the stuff like you say Andy the first of many many sequences where people are aggressively trying to either like psychologically terrorise him into eating it or physically force it into his mouth or um, uh, just pouring it near him like just like <laughs> just like putting him in real peril in the way of the stuff yeah I, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly rather than do that he like knocks the container out of the mum's hand and it's uh, it hits off the kitchen counter and he like runs out obviously distressed but I love the fact that the reaction to that is that the mum turns around and starts cleaning the uh, stuff off of the counter and she's like, it's low in calories, tastes great, and it doesn't stain. But then the genius of that line is it jumps straight into like an advert for the stuff. Straight so into the ad. It's just constantly setting up how brilliant the stuff is and how ingrained the stuff and the advertising for the stuff is in everybody's mind and in everybody's just really, it's, it's just so pervasive. Yeah. I also thought that it was an interesting, potentially unnecessary, but welcome piece of exposition that we actually get like unexpected legal mumbo jumbo about the real world statutory framework that protects the recipe for this fictional substance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. Like it, it really does kind of ground the film. Yeah, there's also there's a, there's a part as well. They've done tests before, and I know you've got American listeners, so I will not have shots fired here. But there is a, a different standard as to which things can make the market in America than they can elsewhere in the world. Sure. Like things just slide through, um, and it's been found in the past that things can slide through because pams have been greased. Or there's just a different standard for what is considered dangerous to your health. Uh, a different and, standard for what is considered 
chicken. <laughs> edible. <laughs> a different standard for what's considered edible uh, or digestible. And in the case of this one, like uh, you do, you get that, well, you know, we can't do this because it's went through this and all the rest. But there's also this kind of sub-story where there was a little bit of FDA involvement, but now everyone that was involved is fucking banished. Yes. Like, all of them are gone. So, they've either met a grizzly... Well, everyone meets a grizzly end pretty much in this movie, but mm-hmm. they've either met a grizzly end or they have themselves been acquired by the company mm-hmm. um, who run the stuff, who just seem to be picking up people left, right and centre. Sure. And my first, uh, we get our first introduction here to Nicole Kendall. Yes, another key player. Um, as uh, mm-hmm. Mo goes to a shoot day for a stuff commercial... Uh, yeah, he just yeah, goes another. around ruining people's days. I, I love the fact that like he's like he's he's like going in as a like, doing corporate espionage, and it's like he blends in by standing out by like strolling in and immediately shutting down the shoot and telling everybody to go home. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird shoot though for an ad. I mean, yeah. nothing says eat yogurt like fur coats and yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, like, like mm. naked models in fur coats. Yeah, mm, can't wait to get my hands on some of that stuff. It's just like, it's a weird thing to do, but his whole pitch to her is that, because he's under the guise of an oil tycoon this time, and I love the little message in here because oil, well, oil's not dangerous, but it kind of is, but at the same time, it's a very pollutive substance, Mm -hmm. and it's got a bad market image, so what he basically says, look what you did for the stuff here, I just want to buy your company outright, you can come on as the CEO of this branch of the kind of commercial side, but you just need to make people think that we're safe. Can we get these models and their fur coats just covered in oil? Can we get them covered in oil? That is the question I have been asking since the movie finished, Andy. <laughs> um, can, how can we? Uh, but yeah, the the so there's that idea as well. But, it, you know, moving out with it, it's the same thing in the 80s, the uh, tobacco companies were going through the same thing. Bad PR, mm. you hire good commercial people behind it to put a spin on it to make it look safe or manly or whatever the, the trope was in the 80s. Yeah. So, once again, it's, it's Cohen being quite clever. I you smart. Know, what he's doing. It's very, very, very smart because it's still... Ha- the words are coming out of a guy that we know is a lot more intelligent than he is, but it's been kind of transmitted under the guise of someone who appears to be not as clever as he is to lower the guards of the woman that's True. there. So, 3D trip, 3D chess. People can't see my hands moving, but... I, I can, I DJs. can, they are moving. Yep, or a rave, one of the two. <laughs> but yeah, he kind of like wins it, he wins her attention kind of over by being, like, yeah, under the proviso that he's going to buy a company and like, yes. in, like you say, like put her in this like kind of like high flying executive role. And so like, honestly, we never really see her reacting to the fact that that turns out to be bullshit. <laughs> I think it's things happen so mind. fast from this point yeah. that she doesn't get a chance to like react, her head's fucking spinning. Yeah. Jason, uh, we revisit at this point, who is now embarking on a full-blown like guerrilla campaign to destroy the stuff. Terrorism. Which, which, um, I, yeah, which I think is like, despite the fact that he obviously in the fullness of time has proven right, I think that at the time, based on the evidence, this feels like to go to a supermarket and actively destroy stocks of it and knock over shelves and stuff like that, um, to the point that you have to be physically wrestled to the ground by no less than three grown adult men. Um, like, I, I remember thinking, I was just like... This is an incredibly like knee jerk response when he was like that was that was moving about in the fridge and I think as the dad is like oh it's probably just like expired or gone off and in the moment yeah. he was like yeah maybe but in the morning he was like this must be destroyed <laughs> he destroys that shot with a rake he do- he goes full he goes 
full on with it because at first it's just like he takes off a small child mm. to begin with, which is funny. And he slams it <laughs> to the floor, uh, and then he starts running. Then, like you see, he starts knocking over ones from the shelf. He then gets that rake and then smashes the the glass panes of a couple of freezer units. Um, yeah, which which on. which feels gratuitous. I don't I, like. I feel like that's extraneous to the goal. He just wanted to smash it. <laughs> yeah, it goes it goes full on. Like you see, three men finally tackle him down. I get a feeling they also treat him in the security room like police officers treat people. Punch him in the gut. I think there's like a there's a there's a maybe a phone book somewhere that's going in that lad's ribs, <laughs> is all I'm saying. Uh, when that door's shut, he's in trouble. He's in but he does he goes full on it. It's like you see it feels like an overreaction. But this is ultimately this little bit here is going to bring him to the attention of, of Mo, Mo yeah. later on in the I mean, movie. this does feel yeah. like a like a snowballing thing from him. Like it's like it, it becomes like an in for a penny, in for a pound thing. Like <laughs> You slap a cup out of a kid's hand, and then before you know it, you're smashing up an entire shop with a rake. What's next? Yep. I'm, I'm glad they got him in time. Could you imagine what might have been next? Well, he be- yeah, well, you know what? what's next is he becomes an industrial spy <laughs> and brings down a massive conglomerate with child child spy. Um... The best kind of spies. You never expect them. We get um, the beginning stages of Moe's investigation here. And I must admit, the fact that we see him kind of like dotting around, picking up so many pieces of the puzzle was genuinely like delightful to me. I'm not that far away from a part where just like, and nobody looks at my notes except me, that I still just wrote, I am really enjoying this film. (laughs) (laughs) Was that right about the time when he visits Daddy Yellow's apartment and befriends an angry dog? Oh, the dog's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, this is great. Uh, Mr. Vickers, um, who was a tester on the stuff, if I remember rightly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we find out that um, uh, Mr. Vickers' faith in this product is such that he eats it himself all the time. Apparently, has, like, ring-fenced an entire room in his mansion (laughs) for it and uh, also feeds it to his dog. Um, stuff room. I mean, everyone's got a stuff room, surely. Yeah, <laughs> this is my stuff room. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, he says he feeds it to his dog, which uh, obviously won't come back in any way whatsoever. <laughs> well, I love it. It's just like the dog. Like he keeps like whenever he's going to say something, he looks at the dog to see if he's got approval and permission to say it. Because <laughs> like, like to the bit where he's like that, you know. Um, uh, yeah, I know some people. I, I might still have some notes. I'll just go and get the notes for you. And then as he's walking out, he's looking over his shoulder at the dog, and he's just like, "Be cool, okay." Right? <laughs> and he's on the st- he's on the stairs, giving it the you know the the two fingers like the military signal thing in the eyes to the dog. It's like you see the the dog's so happy in this as well. Like it's one of the when we see the ultimate fate here of the viciousness of this dog, it does look like it's going over for a belly rub. I, I, I can't, like, you know, this is no dog from the thing, you know what I mean? And this is like a, this is like a, we'll just cut it so it looks like the dog's vicious. It just adds some noises in the back. Um, it's kind of amazing. The room that's got all the stuff as well is, it's not exactly very well hidden. It's, it's just essentially his kitchen is covered. And it also brings up the question, some people are eating it chilled, some mm. people are not eating it chilled, comes out the ground hot, how are you supposed to eat this thing? I mean, there's questions I need answers to. But that's a, geni- I, that's a genius of the stuff. Just take it as versatile. you find it. Yeah, it, is, it really is versatile, actually, yep. Duncan. You're right. It's the it's the anytime, anywhere snack. See, yeah. the people are, but it does turn my stomach a little bit that people are just shoveling tub after tub of this viscous white shit down their throat. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, mm. it's 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 fairly gross. Like, it's like when I see like like if you watch a sitcom or like or like a movie or anything, they're like I'm so depressed, I'm gonna eat a pint of Hagen Dazs. I'm like I might I, I like ice cream like the next guy. Yeah, who, get, who doesn't? I, I might get some of the way into that. I ain't finishing a 
pint of ice cream, right? There's like, <laughs> like that's just not happening. But these people shovel it down as if it. And I think it's that sort of as 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 gluttonous as well. It's the idea of rampant consumerism. It's not just one tub we're going to buy. We're going to buy all the tubs and we're going to store them there. And this is the the ads. It's everything. It's all kind of gelling together. But anything one of them's eating, I'm just like, yeah, maybe a spoon. Yeah, yeah like, but, but you're right though. I mean, like obviously that's not there by accident. Like obviously, like the, the whole point of it is excess, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vital character introduction here. After uh, after Mo has uh, a brief conversation with the guy that's pumping his gas, we do meet Chocolate Chip Charlie himself. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Larry Cohn originally wanted Arsenio Hall for this role. We couldn't get him. Really? Yeah. This is. I think he did all right with Garrett Collins. If I'm if I'm honest, I kind of love him in this. I think he's brilliant. I love him. Yeah. yeah. He's always talk about his his hands being registered as lethal weapons in Georgia. Is kind of amazing. And his beautiful ass. His beautiful black ass. <laughs> He's a he's an owner of a chocolate chip cookie firm Dynasty. or ice cream firm <laughs> yeah. or estate or whatever, and is a registered killer. And I kind of love that he's a lethal weapon as well. And he's fast talking. He's he's kind of jive. And straight from the start, him and uh, Rutherford are just the work. There's a scene coming up real soon that we're going to have to talk about that has maybe just some of my favourite kind of back and forth and I feel get the feeling that it was all improvised mm. um, and if it was that makes me like delight even more because it's two guys that are clearly good at just ad-libbing playing off each other and just going to see where the scene yeah. will take them at some point presumably Chocolate Chip Charlie was a wealthy man like head of a massive organisation We've got no real idea of how much time elapses from that little guy eating the stuff straight out the ground to where we're at now. But yeah. his fall from grace has been incredible. Like he, <laughs> he is now like living like a, 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 he's like living rough. He's got like you know dungarees where only one like one of the bits is like fastened. Like he's filthy. Like he, he's fallen fast and hard. I, I, I love the fact that like uh, like a haphazard attitude to fasting near dungarees is a universal sign of someone having a rough time. It's either that day. or you are a yokel. It's it's the fact that you could be bothered fitting one on just enough to keep your trousers up, That's but it. not the second to make it presentable. That's it. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of amazing. But the other scene, this scene is coming up here, right? So they're they're trying to interrogate the guy in the post office because no one lives in this town anymore. This is the town where apparently the stuff was founded, but there's there's no one here now. And they go to this post office, and uh, the guy who's behind the counter of the post office is all very clear. You know, just leave us alone here. We're, we're just simple people. Just, just leave us alone. And his belly's making all these kind of, kind of noises. Just leave us alone. And then he has to nip out, uh, presumably either to eat or go for a shit. Mm-hmm. You're not sure <laughs> that. Your stomach is making that noise. Is one of the two. I agree. Uh, makes a beeline, and then you get this interaction where they're basically talking about how they can get this guy extradited from this particular establishment. And you get this kind of, they're kind of back and forth, different ideas of what they can do. Rutherford's like that, uh, Charlie, you know, I run a high-tech operation here. I just don't go in for, you know, like kidnapping or whatnot. And he's like, well, you know, the, the chocolate chip Charlie's like, I've got like some low-tech solutions we can do here. And he's like, um, all right, so what's that like? He's like, well, maybe we could, you know, sucker him over the head. And he's like, um, we could do that. And he's like, we throw him in the back of the car. And he's like, we could do that too. <laughs> so it's like this kind of like high-tech solutions. And then within, he's, he basically, his point of view, he wants him to say that he wants to do that to give him permission to yeah, do it. Absolutely. And I kinda, once it's Mo playing the room again, 
3D chess, ladies and gents. Um, <laughs> the the spin off movie from the stuff, 3D chess, but more Rutherford. Um, but yeah, like so, they're they're trying to kidnap him, but they can't kidnap him, Mitch, because bad things are about to happen. You are not wrong. <laughs> yeah, they go to investigate what's happened to the fairly uneasy, kind of twitchy post office guy, uh, and we do find out during the measure of this kind of like a couple of these exchanges that everyone's mail was being forwarded to the same place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Midland, Georgia, to be specific. But yeah, they go to check on uh, what's happened to uh, to this guy, and it is a grisly tableau. <laughs> well, I he's uh, on the ground, his mouth is giant, and he's uh, spewing the stuff everywhere. So he's either he's either the stuff is trying to escape, or he's watched that video in the ring. Um, <laughs> and, you know, because it is like that. His jaws distended right out, and it's it's quite shocking when you see it for the first time. It's good. The practical effects are kind of amazing in this because of that. Because yep. that's one thing, even in high definition, actually does hold up. Sure, um, does, looks really good. So, but yeah, the stuff's escaped from him. And then we get our first kind of viewing of what I can only term as stuff zombies. Um, yeah, they are referred to as stuffies, which I'm happy with. Stuffies. <laughs> How dare you come to my town? <laughs> no, I, I like, I like. Um, it is it is mentioned at some point in this that the like believer style term for people amazing. who are like consumed by their obsession with the stuff is uh, stuffies. So. Right, that's okay. amazing. Well, they're also uh, filled with the stuff because they a few of them are dispatched and uh, they explode in amazing torrents of the stuff. Yeah, through the stuff. In Scotland, (laughs) he's full of this stuff. Look at him. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, when they go back outside of this kind of like chase sequence, and she's yeah, I I wrote down that everybody seems to have very easily collapsible heads. Yeah, 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 like total, like eggshells, man. Kind of paper mashy, kind of punched. (laughs) <laughs> they just kind of keep right in. I love the fact as well that kind of like they go to this diner afterwards for this kind of like debrief after this chase and talk very loudly about this um, extremely classified corporate espionage and full earshot of a kind of like semi-crowded <laughs> diner and all of the staff behind the counter. So yeah, Mo dispatches Charlie to Washington to go and talk to the FBI because he's like, they won't listen to me because I'm disgraced, but perhaps they'll listen to you, also disgraced, but from a different industry. <laughs> but can you do me a favour and put on a fucking shirt and tie, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you go in looking like you look just now, you you you're going in a cell. Um, you know what I mean? You can't you can't walk in like that. But he also at the same time mentions loud enough. You know, it's kind of, once again it's more being quite clever here. He asks the woman behind the counter loudly if she has any stuff. Like, oh no, you can't get her hands on it. It's so popular. But she's involved because she runs straight into the back and makes a call. So now there's there's part of him that is leading a, I want to say it's like a distraction sort of thing that he's going one way to try and pull the attention that way so he can get to the FBI. But he does give him a warning and we find out later on that Charlie maybe didn't heed his warning. He just tells him to remember where he is, yeah. i.e. watch what you eat. So. But then yeah. after yeah. this point, like anywhere Bo goes, he's like tailed by stuff trucks. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're not they're not very subtle in their like in their I guess their uh, assassination their attempts reconnaissance or... of them. Like, <laughs> yeah, like... It's like they're literally following him everywhere in stuff trucks and those guys he's in al- yellow jumpsuits al- on, on every corner. <laughs> he's almost knocked down by a stuff ice cream truck, <laughs> which is that's what they choose to do the hit and run. Which is which which is great because the thing about that is that it's totally untraceable. <laughs> <laughs> Off the back of this, we're off to another fancy room in another fancy building for another stage 
in Mo's investigation. This time he's talking to a marketing guru that helped launch the stuff. He kind of muses on the fact that all these people have abruptly fucked off to Georgia. Uh, one of my favorite accusations that anyone has ever made of anyone in the film happens at this point when this marketing guy looks at him and witheringly says, you're a crook in the pay of the ice cream companies. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is Patrick O'Neill. So this is, this, is him making his, this is him making his appearance in the box. This is him earning that box around his name. <laughs> <laughs> This is what they came to see, ladies and gents. This 100%, 100%. guy, hundred um, percent. He's brilliant. He's brilliant at this all the way through it because he is the epitome of smarmy CEO. Yeah, for sure. He's everything that embodies that kind of decadence and wealth, and at the same time, I mean, he doesn't partake of the stuff no. because he knows. So, but he's happy to take the money for it. But everyone else can eat it and pay for it and have the effects that they have. But me, I'll just sit here and reap that money. Yep, so. doesn't get high off his own supply. <laughs> nice but yeah like he kind of like he's, he kind of has this kind of go at Mo he kind of like tries to cut him down a little bit but he obviously knows that he's a threat because he also offers him a job yeah that's what I'm saying people just keep jamming money into this man's pockets I want to be him yeah. <laughs> maybe we should all just start being a bit dumber than we are <laughs> just like just a little bit just a, just a, like a small amount and see if that's because I've always said this like it seems to be that really inept incompetent people fail upwards Mm. Maybe that's our problem. Maybe we're all too diligent. What I would say, though, is I feel like in 2021, what we don't need is more dumb people. Well, I was about to say, like, if anything, coming off the back of the last four years, we've seen how, how far dumb yeah. can take you. Dumb, dumb. Right to the yeah. top. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Both sides of the Atlantic, yeah. That's... yeah. <laughs> With ease, apparently. I, uh, before like, we get another kind of uh, advert for the stuff here, just around the time that Mo learns via, I think, Exposition FM, I think it's on the radio, that he hears of um, Jason's anti-stuff rampage. And he's like, we need to go and talk to this guy. Which has made the papers. This kid's vandalised the supermarket and it's made the it's made papers that have made their way to him. And national news. State. Yeah, like kid hates his stuff. <gasps> news at ten. Uh, it's just a, it's just a bit out there. I kinda love it, but it is kind of like farcical where he's like that. Look at this kid's this kid's fighting the revolution. And the first thing he says is you know, I want to speak to this kid. Yeah. <laughs> Straight away, we need to speak. To- this kid has inside knowledge. Like, Jason Jason is, like, getting sent to the electric chair for this <laughs> relatively childish crime. What I do want to say, though, is that, like, um, the scene that we get here, I think, is actually really great. It's one of my favourite things, kind of, just over the whole piece, to be honest. Mm. Like, because Jason's been grounded indefinitely. <laughs> I think worse than the electric uh, chair. <laughs> and but I think that like the way that this gets kind of like escalatingly sinister is yeah. absolutely tremendous. Like because he goes downstairs and obviously like he just sees like the first thing that he sees when he goes into the kitchen, uh, the scene of his initial trauma, of course, is uh, this uh, this bin bag teeming with empty stuff containers. And then he goes in the living room. The rest of the family are sitting there and they've all got their container each and they're kind of like shoveling it into their mouths. But then like they turn around and they give him this like elevator pitch for it. And then he tries to like flee the house and his brother runs out and wrestles him back in, apparently possessing the strength of three supermarket employees. Um, <laughs> but like uh, when they get back in and the dad's kind of like trying to strong arm him into eating the stuff. It was just like at some point in that exchange, I was like, this has actually gotten like really convincingly sinister. Like, yeah, I was, like yeah. it was like, it's, it's like genuinely really quite creepy, I think. The lighting in the scene's excellent yeah. as well because the lighting's it's all dark apart from the characters' faces, a glow off the TV. Yeah. Um, and the camera shot's very, very clever. Like, the camera's looking up at the family. So it's that kind of oppressive, uh, that oppressive thing as well. And they basically give them this tub. And instead of 
making them eat it in front of them, which is how you prove someone has eaten something, um, they allow him to go upstairs, where he can easily get rid of it, to which he does in the toilet, mm. and this thing starts trying to escape, and then he fills it with shaving foam, ladies and gents, <laughs> which this almost every time gives me the book, honestly, like, so he fills it full of shaving foam, and then comes downstairs and starts eating the shaving foam in front of his family to prove that he's eating the stuff and won't let them touch it. No, 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 this is mine. You get your own. It's quite um, it's quite clever. Like, it's not a bad plan. He's a this fucking kid, This kid he is a new mole. He is the new mole. He's played 4D chess. What I will say as well is that, like, see, see if I am shaving and I accidentally get a very small quantity of shaving foam in my mouth. Yeah, I like physically recoil. Like I have That's to like horrible. immediately yeah. like take a like take a like a swill of water to like try, try and get rid of it and stuff like that. The fact that he can poker face eating like four spoonfuls of it in front of people who are all watching him intently eating what is supposed to be we understand to be the most delicious food in the world. I like <laughs> fair play, Oscar Gold, my son. He's awesome. I don't mind telling you. Every time I see it, I really want. To, I really want to try this stuff. <laughs> Of course you do, because you're like, people are eating it. it. It's advertising. Like, see if I see something on the TV and someone eats it and goes, mmm, I'm like that. Oh, that may be, <laughs> that may be quite nice. Yeah, what's, uh, what's the story with this guy? The mm. film succeeds in that, because I, I every time I'm like, fuck, I want to try that. I'm such a mark for this sort of stuff anyway, that by the end of it, even though I know, even though I know it collapses your face inside out and tears you apart from the inside, I'd probably still try it. You know God, what I mean? I'd like, it tastes mm. nice though. <laughs> Ah, you've got to eat fucking loads for that to happen. <laughs> You'll be fine. As you buy your fifteenth box. <laughs> cases, cases of facial distendment are actually really low. <laughs> well, they, they make a comment later on that they say that even under huge, even eating huge quantities, some people it changes people depending on their disposition so some people become the stuffy zombie things mm-hmm. uh, some people are fully aware of their kind of surroundings can interact in a, a kind of more normal way but they have an ulterior motive um which i really like as well so that's why it explains why some of them are just complete lunatics and other people are kind of more higher functioning lunatics i, I enjoy that because it's just another just another little twist that they throw in there and it works really well you, you mentioned in the ad i can't remember if this is the right ad or not but is this the where's the stuff in the restaurant ad which has abe vigoda in it yeah yeah i noticed that I'm abe vigoda sure was definitely is, found uh, in that fucking cafe as well by the way he was a hundred percent found in that that might have been that cafe if you're finding right paul Servino and danny yellow all in the one cafe <laughs> and then you've also got abe vigoda in your fucking film i know where he came from the woman he's sitting beside is in america obviously they love their they love their ads with their we we have them as well I mean, we have our catchphrases and ads, but the big one was, where's the beef? Uh, where's the beef? And that woman, uh, whose name I don't know, uh, she is the where's, where's the beef movie. Apparently, they spent a fortune to get her to come in to say, where's this stuff? No way! Which, once again, I kind of love that. Yeah, she, was, she cool. was pricey. Her agent her agent was on, like, listen, I've got this covered. Don't worry. We'll get you a nice little payday here. All you've got to do is change beef to stuff. Can you do that? Can you do that? And that's it, yeah. So, so she's, where's the stuff? So where's the boss? Oh my god! <laughs> but they, like uh, you were talking about linking it back to once again the smartness of the movie, linking it back to those commercial elements earlier on when they're talking about right back at the start when they're talking about the patent for it. When the guy's standing there talking about it, he's holding a can. You can't see Coke on it, but it's a red can. So the insinuation is, you know, Coke that you don't know exactly. I mean, they 
publish what's in it. But if you're if you're like me, you grew up in a household where your mother would wash her jewelry in Coca Cola yeah. because it cleans them up real nice. And then in the same in the same line of seeing that, I would what's it doing to your inside? It's the same sort of idea. You yeah. don't know what's in it. And I think even at that point, they're kind of linking all these things in. Look at the clever marketing. Just something like that's enough to get your attention. It's really 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 clever. It's I, like deceptively clever at times. It's, it's really good. And I, I absolutely didn't I didn't know the kind of like the extra layout of that with the kind of mm. with the where's the beef thing. Um I, I'm not like I'm, like I'm not sure if this is the point where this advert happens, but I'm fine with talking about it right now. Another thing that I noticed in that advert is that like they're talking about the restaurant being so fancy, and yeah. uh, someone in it says this restaurant only caters to the most discriminating clientele, and I was like, <laughs> I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> Well, uh, if the, if that was the case, then there's only one person that would be eating in there, and that's our colonel later on. Um, because oh, Trevino has some issues <laughs> with colour, with you know, like with race just in general, um, a bit of sexism, also just anyone that's not on the right wing persuasion of politics. Or thought. Oh my god! Um, like, yeah, yeah. One of my favourite. He's our hero, film. by the way. He's our hero in this movie. Just remember that he saves the day. Jesus Christ, God, yeah. Um, when uh, Jason tries to like flee here, I think it's really funny. Just you know that like that kind of just like you know that kind of like ridiculous serendipitous thing that you just forgive because it's funny. Like see, like he just like comes racing out of the house and like Mo Rutherford just pulls up outside and he's like, "Get in!" I also saw it move and he's like tremendous and jumps in the back of the car. And now Mo, having acquired a sidekick, is off to Midland, Georgia, to level up his investigation. Mo and having acquired a random you. child. Yeah. He spewed all over the back because he ate nothing but shaving foam. Pretty soon we're coming up to the scene um, where they kind of just uh, they, they fly to Georgia and they leave uh, <laughs> they leave Jason just on this plane with, with fuck knows who um, but then they like uh, oh, I, this, I had to look long and hard at this to figure out if it was happening. Like, see, like, um, so, like, yeah, like, so they land, and, um, yeah, and they're there talking to representatives of the company under kind of pseudonyms, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's amazing that um, Nicole's like, oh, thank you for letting me bring my male secretary, Roger. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who has, who has a notebook and a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, it's like, he's so creative. And it's like, yeah, he also can't keep his fucking mouth shut, by the way. <laughs> okay, so from, the, from the moment he's in that car, the first question is, so you guys all get your mail forwarded here from, like, just like a, like that your CEO came from, like, just like facts that they're like, well, how did you find out that? Like, yeah. Mr. Mail Secretary. Yeah, um, like, nothing suspicious at all about, oh, uh, Roger, the mail secretary. Said he it, gets, like, oh, yeah. they get a tour around that factory and he is literally walking around <laughs> taking photos of stuff. Like, yeah. Oh, d- d- don't mind my male secretary, Roger. He's just got an inquisitive temperament, and he's like, "Oh, it seems like a lot of you migrated here on the same day, isn't that weird?" It's like Roger's fucking odd. There's, there's a, there's he's a also guy, a, a hobby photographer. There's a guy who asks him, says, "You're not supposed to be taking photos in here," so he takes a photo of that guy. <laughs> Which is like, which is, it's like, like that's just, like, that's just like barefaced fucking defiance, yep. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> really snap yeah. Uh, but yeah um, Elliot Howard PR mogul and uh, Michael Grimsby are uh, the two kind of main corporate shills that we meet over this but yeah Jason has just deposited onto a plane and left to sleep uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah well, that, that doesn't last long because he's kind of beset by the uh, by the stuff and has to kind of I actually literally have the words beset by the stuff written down <laughs> well, there you go. you've been, we've been doing this together for too long, long. yeah that's <laughs> yeah. it we're, we're a hive mind now right 
Uh, but like he, how many he, years is too many, Andy? Three. Three, that's yeah. it. We've finally got an answer. But he hits the road, and um, so too do Mo and Nicole, because they wind up heading off to this hotel together. <laughs> and this is my favourite scene in the film. This is absolutely amazing. I, Andy, if you'd given me one guess what your favourite scene in the film was, I probably would have gone for this. Well, as well. The, the, tri- the trivia about this and the, the technique that they use here amazing. is the same instrument used in Nightmare on Elm Street. It's the exact same room. It's the same room. Is, oh, no way. Really? Yeah, yes. It's the same room. So Nightmare on Elm Street's a year before, so they used that again in this, and it is absolutely tremendous. Mm. Like, well, I was gonna say, like, I mean, I, I literally, um, I literally have written down bow to everyone else's superior knowledge because, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I, I think that this scene, like, when the kind of, because just again for the benefit of anyone that hasn't seen it, basically that uh, Nicole and Mo are kind of bedding down for the night, and the stuff bursts out of a pillow and attacks him, and then that escalates to unbelievable degrees within this room. So. So yeah, I was kind of curious about the mechanics of how this unfolded. By the way, um, when that when the when the stuff attaches itself to uh, Mo's face and he's like rolling around on the floor, Nicole's great idea, apropos of nothing, <laughs> is to pour flammable materials onto a man's face and ignite yep. it. Yep. She, she did, but like out in, that literally is what she said. And like what I love about it is he can't say no because he's like, and she's like, I'm gonna set your face on fire. Don't my face is not flame proof. <laughs> she, she, she literally she, there's no there's no put up your thumb if you're okay with what I'm about to do or anything like that she just pours us on and lights it up and then like just some random yokel just appears like assassin yokel appears yeah this guy's just here to get covered in the stuff just 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 to, just to kind of like uh, just like throw my entire hand on the table here all of which read ignorant um, what is the mechanics of putting something like this together? So it's a, so, ro- it's, it's a rotating room, so essentially. Right. So it's like a giant box room, and it's on, it's on a hydraulic that turns it. So you have your characters off to basically out of the shot, but in the shot, so to speak, and then you're you're moving the room around. So it looks like he is essentially being pushed up the wall, but he's not. The thing about it is, what I love about this one, and I, I, I don't know your thoughts on it, like Andy, but arguably one of the most iconic scenes in the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is that death where he's been dragged up the walls onto the ceiling, and it's just as you've never seen anything like this before in cinema. And then they recreate it the year after, and you would think that would lessen it, but for some reason, I think this one holds its own. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's really, really, really well executed, and there's a lot of reversals done. Or very similar to the, the techniques in the thing. There's a lot of like reverse photography here, so it's you know, so it makes it look like things are moving forward. With it's, it's just very, it's, it's. I mean, from your point of view, being the sort of guy that I know you are, Andy, yeah. you probably geek out about this big time. Yeah, I, I, I love the fact that I mean, we're able to see the stuff flowing up a wall because the room mm. at this point is upside down. I just. I, like as a film guy and as a filmmaker this to use this phrase again twice in the one conversation this gets my plums pumping like this (laughs) is uh getting the best out of something that already existed like prior to and i mean i don't know if this room was used on anything else as famous as nightmare on elm street prior to nightmare on elm street but to see it used again here on a film like the stuff with a budget that's considerably smaller even than the meager budget of a nightmare on elm street and just one and a half million is what the stuff was made on. Yeah, there you go. And just like to to again blag this and use it to such strong effect, it's just it it really gets me. It's but it's amazing. Like it's just such an effective scene in a in a film that's not really short of kind of effective and innovative special effects. 
to use this here is just like the it's like the power punch moment for me. It's incredible. I, I, it plays to me like the centerpiece of the whole thing. Yeah, like I, this is the first time you get it in the full scope. So you've seen it move and you've seen it board a plane and whatnot, but you've not actually really seen it attack someone properly. Yeah, no, no, I, I wrote that deal. down. It's like yeah, it's like it's quite late in the day for us to see it in like full attack mode for the first time. It is also awesome that bursts at his pillow. Uh, early. <laughs> I kind of do love that. It just shoots at his pillow right right across his face. I have a I have a question, right? And again, this this might be this this might this might be uh, this might be an ignorance thing. I'm always I'm always kind of like attuned to that being a possibility. See the stuff itself, right? Yes. So we had in a factory full of it before this. Uh-huh. All of the stuff in this instance is like docile and not attacking anybody. Yes. And in this instance, it is like packed into a pillow, and at that point, it bursts forth and attacks somebody. <laughs> Under what circumstances can the stuff be weaponized, and when does it know not to? I think when it's it, it knows it's going to the consumer, it sits docile mm-hmm. and relaxed in its container. But in this case, the stuff is aware that Mo is trying to bring it down, trying to destroy it. So it chooses okay. this time to weaponize against them. How it got into the pillow? No fucking idea. Yeah, heck, assassin put in there maybe. Yeah, I can only Wait, assume it was funneled out of one of those tankers. He appears really quickly, uh, but yeah, like uh, he's like sitting looking at a window, going, "Oh no, they've discovered the weakness by pouring alcohol and setting it alight." And yeah, there's, there, there's like Larry Cohen himself said, a big influence was um, invasion of the body snatchers, mm-hmm. the idea of pod people, the idea of like essentiousness. I don't even know if that's the right word, that communicates amongst everyone. So everyone that's at the stuff all kind of have a hive mind. They're all working towards one goal, and it's the actual element itself that's causing that. So it seems to know when to be slurry and when to be, like, fury. Um, and you're right, because there's there's no rhyme or reason to how it behaves, yeah. because they're in that factory, and it could have picked them off very easily at that factory, and, you know, no one would have cared why it waited to this but then it's the same as um there's like shades of a uh, halloween 3 you know the idea that yeah. silver sham hot rock um warehouse they could have been picked off there but no they're going to wait and get them at the the motel later on so there's kind of shades of that as well so once again i don't know if that's that was maybe an influence or that's not a, that's not a dot i would have connected but now you said it i totally see it yeah yeah Kind of similar, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just going to assume and kind of go with the fact that it is sufficiently sentient that, with enough evidence, it can detect a potential threat. Mm-hmm. Mo's the biggest threat of all. He, they can see the stuff can see right through that kind of southern drawl and all yeah. the rest. It knows what sort of chess he's playing. Ladies the and stuff's no daft. The stuff's many things, but daft isn't <laughs> one of them. This is not the stuff's first rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we find out that it's probably been around for quite a while around about here because Mo has uh, pilfered a yellow workies outfit and breaks into the quarry that the stuff is essentially mined from and finds mm-hmm. it kind of bubbling up from this geezer in the in, in the middle of the, the quarry and mm-hmm. uh, suddenly starts planting plastic explosives in an attempt to obliterate the stuff. Don't know where he got them, but it maybe he just has them. Maybe that's part of being an international super sleuth. His overnight bag or, or something. I mean, you might pack deodorant uh, yeah. and a toothbrush and toothpaste, but Mo, he's, he's packing something else. I kind of feel like, I given the fact that he is a corporate spy, almost nothing that he does really seems to be motivated by any kind of notion of blending in or doing anything undetected. No. No. For, like, a character that is labelled as being, like, kind of like a spy and who's kind of, like, discretion is the name of the game, he resorts to shock and awe at the drop of a hat so often. But then, so does James Bond. Like, 
Anytime yeah. James Bond tells someone who he is, they're always like, oh, I, yeah, I know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to be like this ultimate. He does say he's, like, yeah. he's, he's named pretty much every time as just James Bond. That's, <laughs> that's literally part of every film that he says that. Like, like, there is not a spy in the world or a villain in the world who does not know who James Bond is. And there is not a corporate shell somewhere in his ivory tower who quakes yeah. at the mention of Mo Rutherford's name. There's a, there's a, there's a, you speak about James Bond, there's an amazing scene in one of my favourite Bonds, it's uh, Beauty of Kill, uh, with the phenomenal Christopher Walken, yes. the, the main enemy in Grace Jones, and he walks in and it's a, he, he runs a... Like An a, equestrian school. Yeah, that's right. And he sits opposite him and he gives him the name, which is not James Bond. Yeah, I know what um, it is. I think it's Sinjin Smythe or something, yep, I think is what his right. name yeah, is. I think it's... Uh, yeah. Sinjin's but clearly a fake name. My name is Sinjin Smythe. Sure and um, yeah. while he's doing that, the computer scans him in this kind of low-tech James Bondy sort of way and his name comes up as James Bond. And Walken's reaction is just incredible because he's like, oh, well, this name clicks it and it says, you know, armed to kill, you know, licensed to kill, armed and dangerous. And he goes, oh, wow. <laughs> just like, totally just like, like, he's sitting opposite him. I kind of think Mo's the same way. I think there's there's a level of um, kind of garishness that goes to letting people drop down their guard. Um, you see, you always have to be careful of the quiet ones and Mo's not a quiet one. He's, you know, loud and brash and whatnot. I think on some level that, you know, lets people drop their guard it shouldn't if anything if, if you've got the secret of uh, element here you don't want that to go out you sure as hell don't want to answer the questions from the loud guy but that just seems to be part of his charm question mark sure <laughs> yeah uh-huh Maybe. i, I, I kind of feel like if this got remade then mo rutherford would be matthew mcconaughey i think he'd be the rock but that's because the rock is everything now yeah. it's literally because the rock will smell what you're cooking and that is the stuff apparently mm. <laughs> you should have it from the fridge uh like I, I, you could you could go a couple of times <laughs> i actually really don't want to watch a version of the stuff which has the rock in it so hollywood if you heard that please scrub that from the idea Girl, i'm not gonna yeah. i'm not gonna cast the rock <laughs> yeah don't cast the rock please if you can get if you can get the McConnaissons though he'd be brilliant in it uh, yeah that's the, like uh, no, Andy Andy will go back to the well once again and yet again cast Curtis 50 Cent Jackson in one of his films <laughs> which I personally am sick of sorry man. every time <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> this entire sequence, I like, I, like, I kind of just, I kind of want to burn through this because, like, um, yeah, it's, it's, still it's, a lot it's, to it's, go. it's, yeah, and it's tantamount to uh, Mo doing a lot of sneaking around and eventually getting away in the tanker that has Jason inside it and blowing up the big kind of rock pool that is full of the stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but really, we can't, like, we can't blow past Paul Sorvino's introduction here because it's crucial to the, the really how the rest of the film plays out. He says he's going to like we can't. Well, we'll stop off at this small town. He's like we can't stop on this small town. We need to go to a big city. And the next scene, he drives up to an abandoned castle in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> so... it's, it's like oh, I'm really glad that um uh, we've cut straight to them reaching this bustling metropolis. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a scene from The Walking Dead, honestly. Like, sure. They pull up on this overgrown sort of camp in the middle of nowhere, uh, which seems unassuming. And like we find out that uh, Mo says that he's aware of the guy. The reason for how he knows this Amazing. guy is absolutely incredible. And it's just flung away as if it's nothing. Uh, but they show up at, he knows this guy, but this guy doesn't know me sort of thing. And it comes out and there's a militia hidden in the, the long grass, like the raptors in Jurassic Park. They just come out of nowhere, yeah, clever yeah. girl in it, um, right at him. And um, he gets taken to meet our man who, once again, is just, well done my, Larry Corn, because you, you <clears> did <throat> it again. Sorvino <laughs> here is channeling Brando as Colonel Cuts from Apocalypse Now. 
Like, he's on that same level. I very strongly feel like Colonel Spears, I feel like this moment is tailored to his exact specifications, but if I had to hang out with him on any other day, I would probably find him to be quite a problematic individual. <laughs> problematic. For the duration he's of a... this mission, I will tolerate this man, but I will not have drinks with him after. Yep. Yeah, he's... And what I would say is he's not a character written for 2021. No, no, that yeah. is, that is you know fair. He's got some beliefs, and those beliefs are bad. <laughs> <laughs> but Moe's Mo's introduction to him is that he's the guy that essentially got him out of the, you know, out of the military because he taped evidence that he was seeing, I want to say it was underage, I don't think it was underage. 17-year-old black girl, he says. Yeah, 17, so underage girl, he had evidence of this, he did it for the FBI and essentially used it to strong arm him to leave there and the balls on Mo, Mo's walked in there unarmed, you know, right up to the guy. I'm the reason you lost the military career that you had and all that shit. I was, I was that guy, but I don't work for them anymore. Mm. Uh, you say unarmed though, Duncan, but his wit is razor sharp. He will cut really, you down. Yeah, a nasty nick off it for sure. I love like because uh, Servino's like line is like I could throw you off here and that's where you'd land. <laughs> he just points over the side. That's where you'd land right there. Um, and then he he plays to once again Mo different level. He plays into all the things that he knows is going to get this guy to do what he wants from him by specifically saying we don't know where this stuff's coming from. But it, you remember when they said that communists would come into our country and they would infiltrate industry and before we knew it, it'd be too late. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm not saying that's what it is, but it plays into that very real late. paranoia that a lot of people had yeah, at the time about fluoride in the water and like mm-hmm. uh, spy satellites watching your every move, and it absolutely works because in the next scene they're away raiding that you were fucking say, quarry. You were busy. It's absolutely true. Yeah, it's uh, all every bit <laughs> of it. The turns at that truth that turned it to be true. Um, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah in the next scene they're away to that quarry and all the staff have killed themselves in a mass suicide event it's very et-mesque isn't it because the music's two steps two steps away from group of people to rock up there like you've got the, this weird militia just this hodgepodge of terrible dusty firearms and you get the, a woman, you get a, lady. a woman, a man, and a small boy in their civil, <laughs> in their cities. A small, a small, a small boy whose like origin story for being there does not stand up to scrutiny. Like if they had to describe that to any kind of authority, there's like, oh, I see. So you abducted him. Yeah, but like they, they, like he's like the colonel comes downstairs first, hits on hits on the woman. I love this as well. He's like, you know, she's my woman. He's like, he looks at me and says like, well, I think you're going to be a casualty. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean. So he's like, no, you're not going to make it, right? And then the little kid, he's like, right, listen, we've never lost a war. And the kid goes. What about Nam? As if this kid would know Nam in 85. What about Nam? And he's like that. We lost that war at home, son. <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a great line. He just drops it at every time. Oh. But yeah, they're all dead. And uh, the stuff tries to attack uh, the woman sure. and the wee boy. And then oh, Ch- Chocolate Chip Charlie returns all too, all too briefly, I have to say. But uh, goes out in an absolute blaze of glory because... He owns two radio stations, and they're going to. Inst- they're in wherever they are, right? Where is it again? Georgia. Georgia. They're going to fly. Uh, yeah, they're going to fly Atlanta. Georgia. Midland. Yeah, Georgia. they're going to fly Atlanta, which isn't well. It's the same state, state at least, because he owns two radio stations there for his 
Militia messages, Militia radio. Um, I, I just don't. I, it's, it's weird. This is that the plan is they're going to release a statement to the populace on his niche bandwidth radio and a chance to overthrow things. It's just yeah. it's a weird thing. Yeah, I mean they do, and ultimately that is what happens. But you, mm-hmm. you kind of want a better face for it than this. Dis- like either. <laughs> A disgraced former FBI agent who now plies his trade as an industrial spy. <laughs> a young boy, like some kind of Max Clifford type PR guru woman. Well, yeah. maybe not quite Max Clifford type because that, I, I don't believe say, that ended. Like... I don't believe it ended well for him. Um, no, it did not. But, uh, <laughs> breaking it down, Jesus. man. Or a disgraced yeah. soldier. Like it's the worst group of people to possibly convey a believable message. Well. Chocolate Chip Charlie's here. That's why he's he's got a, he's got an inbuilt audience base of twenty million. But why the fuck are they the going to believe radio? him? That would be the same well, as if Ronald McDonald got him, did it? He's <laughs> not a mascot. <laughs> but he, he fucking it, that, but, but he you, fucking is. He was not born Chocolate Chip Charlie. Do you think that Ronald? <laughs> do, you, do you think that Ronald McDonald owns McDonald's outright? <laughs> Yes, I do. Is that what and when he's is? not dressed like a clown, like well, his head's always a clown. But when you go into <laughs> the boardroom, it's even more disturbing. Going to the boardroom, he's got disturbing. his suit on and he's all business. It's crazy. He's um, cutting about like Captain Spaulding, just like the just the face makeup done and nothing else. Love it. Um, Love I, it. Uh, you know, we're talking about Adling. When uh, Chocolate Chip Charlie turns up again, he says, "I'm Chocolate Chip Charlie. My hands are registered as lethal weapons in Georgia, and I eat them for breakfast." And to which I wrote down, "You should not eat your hands for breakfast." Never eat your hands; they're registered weapons. <laughs> you just disarmed yourself. That was a silly thing to do. Um. Um, but yeah, they, um, they, uh, they, 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 yeah, they're teaming up ostensibly to uh, broadcast a warning to the American people. But as you said, Duncan, yeah, we put up on it for Charlie at this point because it turns out the stuff has been incubating inside him for some time. Yes. Incredible. So uh, it's glorious, by the way. It's, it's incredible. Absolutely, it's a money shot and a half. And this is a this was a front, the front cover. cover. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. This is the the effect when his face kind of goes all stretchy and he dies is uh, is is legitimately absolutely amazing. And a lot of white stuff comes out, and then they're trapped in a recording booth, and no one can decide what to do, and they decide to cut through the world's largest power cable. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> more like... dispatches of the stuff here, the same way Roy Scheider does the shark and Jaws too. <laughs> yeah. Fucking shocks it to death. <laughs> and a far more compelling protagonist and uh, and more other films oh, by this man. point because Shider's heart's not in it by Jaws too. He's not. He didn't want to be there. <laughs> what I think is funny about this man, because oh. uh, you know we understand that we have a nation of people who are addicted to this stuff, um, and you know like ad- addiction is a very serious thing. And the message that they broadcast is, see that thing you're addicted to? Just burn it and you won't be addicted to it anymore. And everyone's like, yep. okay, and then just do it and they're immediately fine. And not only are they fine, they rise up and start aggressively attacking. Like, you know, like, um, seize the means of production. That's right, yeah. They, they blow up the big silos that are holding the stuff. They burn massive piles of, like, tubs of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also, like, all the little uh, kind of franchise chain stores that have popped up that exclusively sell the stuff they're getting blown up it is fairly worrying to me that uh somebody who holds the kind of beliefs that we understand colonel spears to have wields this kind of power on his platform <laughs> rise up I'm telling you man exactly what donald trump did yep yeah, played to people's played to people's fears and uh mm-hmm. ultimately won a good portion of them over to his side and the uh, the ones that didn't we stuff zombies. 
Um, stuffies. Stuffies. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, apologies. Yep. Stuffies. <laughs> Have that, stuffies. <laughs> so, yeah, that's like that's like an ending, but nay, because uh, we then kind of like have our second encounter with Mr. Fletcher when um, mm. uh, when Mo goes back to kind of, presumably just like shows up to kind of, well, it seems like he's just kind of showing up to gloat about the fact that uh, yeah, the he's... stuff has been kind of blown off the map. Um but yeah, Mr. Fletcher first off, of course, says that kind of like stuff kind of comes from the earth, so blowing up that one quarry is not going to stop it. Sure, yeah. um, and also says that they're, they're starting a new range called the Taste, which yes, is only twelve percent stuff. <laughs> I love the fact that it's like good twelve percent stuff, so absolutely no zombie armies this time, not even a little one. <laughs> just, just, just enough to get you addicted to it, but none of the nasty side effects. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. but at this <laughs> at this point, Jason kind of enters with a massive top like box full of the stuff he's kind of become like dick grayson to moe's bruce wayne like, he literally says he, he tried to appeal to his compassion not to let this kid see this and they're the like he's no longer a kid he's a man his entire family was wiped out by the stuff this kid has seen horrendous things he's you know he's an adult now he's more adult than me yeah, see he, um, he's got a strong <laughs> case for a, a vendetta against the stuff um moe's moe's delivery of the fact that this kid's previous trauma has robbed him of his innocence is delivered so incredibly smugly that he just demonstrably yeah. <laughs> doesn't really give a fuck about it. Like it's like like he's just he's absolutely concerned with the showmanship at the moment and absolutely does not yeah. care at all about throwing yet another massively traumatic experience <laughs> on the pile for this kid who is I would say approximately ten or eleven years yeah, old. This kid it's has like, ju- essentially just become a bad carrier for Mo in the same way that Short Round was for Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. Like, that's all he is. He's a fucking like honestly, he's unpaid help. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Uh, but yeah, in a kind of like very classic Hollywood happy ending moment, two uh, fat cats are forced to eat a destructive substance yeah. uh, to excess at gunpoint, while a yeah. child looks on. Well, they're only they're only forced to start eating it, but yeah. uh, the nature of the stuff compels them to eat. And eat and eat way beyond uh, yeah because even when even when Mo's leaving the room, the guy who did all the marketing stuff for him uh, is actually on his hands and knees trying to scrape stuff from an empty tub. Yeah. Which I just love that scene as well as he's just a, a great way to see how they've fallen uh, by the end. Yeah, yeah, and it's then as is so often the case when things are outlawed, it goes underground. People are dealing the stuff. Like it's got there's a mm-hmm. black market for the stuff. Black market stuff. Yeah, I love the fact that because it's called the stuff, it always just sounds like we're being really vague. Yeah, I know, we're like, <laughs> we can't really pinpoint exactly what this this product is, so yeah, we'll just call it the stuff. Because that's yeah. what they say. Like the, the the woman in this, when they first when they first, when she first meets Mo, he basically says that she was the genius that come up with the name in the ad campaign, and she says yeah, and I'm like, what genius? She called it stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. It's like the first descriptive word you thought of, like yeah, uh, yeah uh-huh. genius behind this, the, the the name and the campaign. In the hands like, of someone else, sh- like, that could have been called the crap. She really earned her fucking money on this fucking one, right? Honestly, yeah. sometimes it's the simplest approach that's best. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. why she's up there and we're down here, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like the person that come up with the ad campaign got milk. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, uh, no. <laughs> it's like a question and a statement at the same time. It's two words and that person's a millionaire now. So. 100%, 100%, absolutely, definitely. Um, our post-credits, somewhat inevitably, uh, is one more advert for the stuff. And with that, we are out. Andy, Yeah. I don't feel like any of us have made any secret over the measure of this conversation that we all think this is class. Yeah, yeah, I've got, no, I've got nothing else to say apart from the fact that I love this film so much. Uh, it was actually a weird week because we had Duncan and another upcoming guest both decide that they wanted to do the stuff. Um, oh, wow. And the question yeah, kind of became like, whoever says it, whoever gets back first does the stuff, and it was Duncan. So uh, yeah. either way, over the next couple of weeks, I was going to be pretty happy that we were going to get to do this because it's something that I've act- you mentioned it earlier, Mitch, in terms of, kind of Andy versus Mitch episodes, but it's sat up on that shelf. And anytime I pick an Andy versus Mitch film, I just go, do, 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 that one <laughs> and the amount of times I've kind of tapped the stuff like oh, one day my friend and uh, that day is now and it's fucking brilliant yeah I've got nothing else to say yeah I mean I uh, like I say and again it was based on it was based on kind of just the kind of things that we seem to attach it to when we talked about it on here before but I was expecting this to be the kind of thing that would play as a double bill with something like Street Trash or something like oh, that. No, Whereas the end result of this is something that I think would play far more effectively as a double bill with something like How to Get Ahead in Advertising. That was exactly the comparator I was about to say there. Yeah, this uh, like I, I just I, I just don't mind saying that like uh, this completely wrong footed my expectations. Like I just wasn't it wasn't like anything like the film that I thought I was signing up for, and it's all the better for it. I think that this is really smart. Um, I think it's really funny. I think that the practical stuff is awesome. I think that Mo Rutherford is a character for the ages. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Michael Moriarty popped up in a lot of Larry Cohen's films, and it's a, it's a damn shame that he wasn't Mo Rutherford than every single one of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want that to be like, you know how they're turning like knives out into uh, a franchise? You want and to be the like, Benoit Blanc? Yeah, exactly. Like Benoit Blanc's case files. Like I, I want that for uh, Will Rutherford. I want like um, not to always pitch a ten-part Netflix series, but I want a ten-part Netflix series <laughs> I, where he's just like bringing down a different company every time. I want a series like uh, like Lie to Me or something where he like oh yeah yeah where he like uh, kind of just goes in and out of all these big corporate structures and just dismantles yeah. them from the, the kind of ground up. <laughs> Works for the Rutherford Institute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. I, I, uh, I, I, no, I don't want him to work for an institute. I want him to work in one of those tiny private eye offices with a glass, a frosted glass door with his name emblazoned on it and little black decals. Yeah. That's what I want more Rutherford's office to be. He's got, a, he's got a, a, a bottom drawer which has got a bottle of Johnny Walker in there and a glass which has never been washed. Yeah, aha. Uh-huh. So, and uh-huh. his Definitely. trusty, I don't know if anyone noticed, but he had a, he had a Luger handgun. So, uh, he did, his, his yeah, which Luger. is so which is so out of place for, for the time period and like just him being an um, international man of mystery I believe those guns were prone to jamming as well <laughs> you know, not on him though no, no, not way. With him. no way not in the hands of more other folk. Um, I also definitely uh, in this kind of alternate like universe and reboot that we're positing I also want him to have a male secretary called Roger that's <laughs> <laughs> the kid that's the kid that's the kid when he grows up absolutely 100% yeah got put into witness protection and changed yeah. his name put to Roger J- put, put Jason behind you yep so like <laughs> you got put into witness protection then uselessly stayed in touch with them and started working <laughs> 
Duncan, this was a great pick. A really, really great pick. This uh, this was um, as good a film as any for us to uh, ring in three years with. So um, thanks very much for bringing it to the table. I kind of feel like it's been an almost selection a few times, so it's nice to finally get to it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's the it's the epitome of the what your show kind of aims to do as well. Because I think you both touched on it. Like when it got released, it was perceived as being not horror enough to be a horror movie. And not really a full-on comedy to be a comedy movie, and far too witty for your, your your average critic at the time that didn't really understand what it what was doing in the ad campaigns didn't help it and all the rest. So it's one of those movies that really found its space through VHS rentals. So it's it's that movie where it demands reappraisal, and the fact that you'd never seen it before, you watched it for the first time, and there is still that message is still there. We have not yeah. really moved that much on from 1985, uh, which is you know it's a sad state of affairs, but true, it but still yeah. rings true. And all those all those techniques are still used. It's, a, it's a, a very 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 smart movie. I think sometimes Larry Cohen, it's very easy to gloss over him for like his movies like It's Alive and stuff where he's been a bit more schlocky, but this one is like top level. And it's really, really, really good. Yeah. Yep. So thank you for thanks for inviting me on to do it. Oh, of course, uh, man. Any time. By the way, if you get the chance, and if you haven't seen it, Duncan, you may probably have. Uh, check out the documentary King Cohen about Larry Cohen. Oh yeah, uh, it's brilliant. It's really good. Really good. Really, really, really good. Duncan, for wrap up, wanna catch us up a little bit on what's going on with uh, the podcast under the stairs? Uh, it's still going. Uh, <laughs> never stopped. Jesus, uh, I still don't know how you I do think- it. Like. I, th- I think I'm up to I'm I'm about 900 episodes. Good so, God! Uh, about about that with that one. Uh, this is my eighth anniversary. Uh, wow. eight, eight years wow. in the eight years in the biz, um, and I've got a whole spin-off channel that does separate things as well. So I've got like a I'd like a second feed that does shows tailored to looking at directors, looking at the video nasties, tier three nasties now, right. um, and other bits and bobs. So I, I keep myself busy. Podcast under the stairs is still a kind of hodgepodge of things I want to do and I know I say it every single time but let's make it happen and you guys come on and do a show with me because I would love Just to get these on the other side literally three years you've been saying that every single time <laughs> and I, 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 I listen get... to your show and I go is this the episode I'm on <laughs> I can't remember being invited on this yeah, like, I totally need that, to get you this one surely that totally have to get you on uh, because it's it's always I, I enjoy I enjoy just chatting movies and it's all the more better when you get a chance to chat you know with people that are like minded and the fact that you guys have been going as long as you have is not because I didn't expect it to because uh, I know you both have a, a really strong work ethic but to see where you've both taken it it's kind of awesome because there was a long period of time there I was kind of flying the flag for Scottish horror podcasting kind of myself for movie discussion stuff so the fact that you, you guys have come up and done a, a phenomenal job it's always a delight and the guests you pull in are just ridiculous like every time I think you pulled in someone that I'm like I would be geeking out if I talked to them and you guys are so cool and you're talking it's just like like so so cool when you're talking to these people but it's, it's, it's excellent so the chance to come back for a fourth time even though I thought it was a third. <laughs> it's kind of phenomenal. And to be honest, I've already... Before I even started recording, I was shortlisting out my fifth. I also got through this entire entire show without making comments about how the stuff kind of looks like foamy jizz. Sure. And I had words like ropey, um, ejaculate. I had all these words and I said, you know what? The listeners of your show have in the past made comments on this and I'm not giving them that this time. Not doing it sure, this time. Sure. Fair enough. Fair well, enough. I'm, I'm glad that you took, I took a moment to address all of that in as graphic a term as possible. Uh, I, I've, so. I've, I've, I've put it out there yep. 
right now that I didn't do it. Yeah, I didn't do it. We appreciate keeping it clean and uh, it. not mentioning throwing webs or... <laughs> the throwing uh, web. Spider-Man and yeah, I, I'd made yeah, sure I did not mention that yeah. at all during the recording. No, thank you, thank you for, uh, as ever, occupying the moral high ground and keeping it clean. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, yeah, like, thank you for once again being an arbiter of good taste. We appreciate it. Yes, Duncan, where can people yes. get in touch with you and follow the podcast? Um, the best way to do it is right through the website, which is tputscast, T-P-U-T-S-C-A-S-T dot com. Uh, and everything I do there, all the shows, all the links to everything. If you search podcasts under the stairs on any podcatcher, you will find me there anyway. Uh, once again, guys, genuinely, thank you very much for having me on. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure, and, yeah. Uh, all the best. Thank you, man. And we will yeah. get a drink, hopefully, in the next couple of months. I was going to be amazing. I was going to say, the, the next time we do something like this, it might be in person, and that would be nice, wouldn't it? That would, it would be, be nice. very nice. Yeah. Yes, yeah. let's make it happen. Three years, Andy. Three years. Man, what a, what a fucking ride. Yep, what a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, marked at roughly equal intervals by appearances from Duncan McLeish. Yeah, yeah, Duncan McLeish now matching Jelga Vargasian at the top of the table and like for guest appearances. Yes, uh huh, uh huh. I'm trying to think who's I'm trying to think who's in shouting distance. Matt Mercer's on three. Matt Mercer's got to be up there. Yep, yep. Uh, I think that, I kind of feel like we're overdue an appearance from a couple of people as well. Yeah, sure. A couple mm-hmm, of people mm-hmm. that might kind of maybe nudge up to three. But yeah, big thanks though to Duncan for joining us to talk finally to talk the stuff tonight and go check yeah. out, of course podcast under the stairs yes absolutely great time what a fucking film yes brilliant brilliant um but we're done once again <laughs> yeah um yeah. but we are not gone for long we are back on monday of course with another mini so all the usual stuff going on on there we'll be talking about what i've been watching i've already got a couple of things yes indeed yeah and uh, nature will be going wild of course we will be taking a look at your feedback playing with just pitches and letting you know what's coming up this week and it's gonna be another fun one yep yeah. and patreon guys I hope you enjoyed that episode that we put out the other day on Blind. Uh, I hope you weren't compelled to watch it. But uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out our Patreon, please, please just go along, have a look. There might be something there that appeals to you. And uh, yeah, consider chucking us a couple of quid. Loads of tiers, loads of levels, loads of stuff going on over there, kind of loads of different entry points. So yeah, go take a look at it, see if there's anything that suits you. Yeah. However, we are back on Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Andy, are we leaving on the jingle? Yes. Guys, enjoy the stuff. Bye bye. The show is here now. Great new day sensation. Light and free now. We'll get you elevation. Enough is never enough. Enough is never enough of the stuff. The stuff. The taste that makes you hungry for more. The stuff. Taste that delivers. Enough is never enough. Enough is never enough of the stuff. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>